You cannot love someone else until you truly love yourself. And so when you think about your authentic self, you must love yourself of who you are. You must be proud of your profession. You must be proud of your family. Because the moment you do that, you can love your clients more. And in doing so, you provide better advice. Do not be afraid of, of other people. Be your authentic self. Love yourself. Because I think ultimately what you'll do is attract the people that you want to provide advice to anyways. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Connected Advisor. I'm your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of Mile Marker. And today, I am joined by none other than Mr. Purple himself, Tony Steech. Tony, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Kyle, super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, man. It was, it's long overdue. Um, you and I have known each other for, for quite some time in the industry. We've got a lot of fun stories to share. I'm glad that you were able to carve out the time to do this. We have a lot of stories to share some that are not safe for podcasts, but also I think we have a lot of stories to share on the evolution of the industry over the last 10 years. That's right, man. Um, I kind of want to start actually, because one of the reasons it's been tough for us to both find time on this is both being a part of startups. So just tell me a little bit of like, what's it like to be at a startup for you, especially you were at, you were at a big you know, company that grew big and, and I know you were at Naval Plan early and all of that, but uh, what's it like to be in the startup game, Tony? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. It is wild. And I think we probably share a lot of the same sentiments. Coming from Navaplan, which was a fairly large company in terms of revenue and staff, to a startup, I think there's pros and cons, certainly. But something that I really like about it, Kyle, is that I never, I, I, I always enjoy getting my hands dirty, right? I want to keep my craft honed, if you will, right? Like the marketing, the sales, product strategy. So at the startup, you get to do that, not without challenges, not without frustrations, but uh, it's been a delightful ride in terms of like the idea of the startup. Obviously, this environment's very different than it was a few years ago, but I've enjoyed it immensely. And quite frankly, if the ethos lines up with your like personal ethos, right, of like what you want to do, it's not work anymore, right? Again, there is there is labor involved, but. It's, it's a labor of love. It's a labor of like passion, motivation. So yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of fun. It's a wild ride. Different hats every day, right? But a very enjoyable time. I think you probably agree, you know, as a startup, as a startup CEO yourself. Um, but something that I think I'm glad, I'm glad I made that leap. I'm glad I, I'm glad I went in that direction for sure. Yeah. Oh man. I love, I love to hear that. And yeah, it's, it's certainly, one of the most challenging roles, uh, I heard somebody equate it one time of like, it's sort of like if you don't have kids and then you have kids, then you can understand what it's like. You know, you, you read all about what it's like to, to sit in this seat and, and, and you, you think about what it's going to be like and then you, you get into it. And it's just, you know, once you experience it, I mean, that's just what it is. It's, it's the most challenging stretching thing I've ever done work-wise, but I've also enjoyed so much of it um, and, and had, a, had a great time and had a blast so far. So I appreciate you sharing yeah. that. So uh, let's go back to the Navaplan days. You know, one of the questions I love to ask people on this is just how did you get into the industry, right? And, um, you know, what what got you, you know, from there to here? Give us the quick, you know, as quick as you want to tell the story, but what's Tony's story in this space? Yeah, so so the short story is I've always kind of been in financial services. In fact, if you look back at my, at my history, I, I was always working at like regional or semi-regional, or even some national banks, mostly on the sales and go to market side on some product stuff. But at the time I was kind of a, you know, a relatively junior employee. 
you know, fast forward to 2015, when I started at Advice and Navaplan, I was recruited by the private equity firm that owned them at the time because they had seen some of the work I was doing at a local bank. It's not, I mean, the local headquarters, it was a regional bank um, because we were working on some franchise value efforts in order to actually sell the company. And at the time it was confidential, but the idea was for me to kind of help ramp up sales and marketing, create franchise value, and then ultimately take it private and sell it to another bank, which we did. I didn't get to see that though, because uh, Vista called and said, hey, would you like to work at, at this company called Advice, which is the developers of Navaplan? And I did a round of research on the company and I kind of dove in head first. There, it was a global opportunity at first, which was exciting to me, right? Because I was working on Five in Europe and also Navaplan in Canada. But I think there was a bit of subconscious in my move there, right? When I began to learn about financial planning and the importance of planning as it relates to the investing public. I know you know what this is, the money moment. What was your money moment? What was like that thing that happened to you that led you to this industry? Because that's really what it is. Like you can look back at your, in my case, 43 years on this earth to a money moment that led me to this space, this industry, and that's kept me here. And that was actually the plight of my father as he lost his job, ultimately lost our home and went through bankruptcy. Our home that we've had for, you know, not only my family's had, but my my grandparents had, et cetera, et cetera. So we had experienced what was a, a fairly challenging time in our lives financially, even though I watched my father and my mother, quite frankly, persevere that through that very nobly. And so for that reason, that money moment, I was moved by Navaplan and now this industry and how we are on this mission to provide financial advice to anyone who asks for it, right? You talk about democratization of financial advice or, or wealth management and how that's a very cliche um, terminology. But I, I believe if you raise your hand and say, I would like financial advice, it should be given to you. Um, and so that's what kind of kept me in the industry, but also attracted me originally. I, I love the money moment conversation. You may have just inspired me for a new, you know, a new segment on the show. Cause yeah, I, Mine is actually related to my dad too, probably similar to a lot of people's, but it ended up being the great financial crisis because my, uh, my dad was supposed to retire. Um, we were planning actually a, a celebration trip for his retirement and my graduation from high school and great, great financial crisis hits and my dad's portfolio gets hammered and he's not able to retire anymore, even though he had you know, invested and saved and all of that. But just that, you know, that risk, you know, he, he just got hammered and had to keep working for another seven or eight years after that to kind of, you know, get back to where he felt comfortable retiring again. And so I was, I was always, you know, super fascinated with the industry after that. And he worked with an advisor and their advisor was great. And I saw the value of an advisor in that. Um, but, you know, led me to, to work in at a company called Riskalyze where it was, you know, hey, how do you make sure you're not taking an exorbitant amount of risk in your portfolio so that, you know, things like that don't happen, even though great financial crisis was a black swan event. Um, but yeah, that's that's my money moment was uh, was watching what happened to to my parents as well. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Man. No, I just I, I I know we have to keep moving on, but like I would love to hear every advisor's money moment because I'm telling you right now, like when you remind yourself if you're a financial advisor or see whatever it is, uh, if you remind yourself of that money moment, just how much that'll reinvigorate you, re-inspire you. So we'll bring it up. Yeah, I think that's a great question, great segment for anyone. If it's an advisor, if it's a home office, if it's a technology partner, what is your money moment? Because that's that 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 really kind of defines who we are. Uh, I love it. So actually, that's a decent segue into the next question I have for you. Um, you know, thinking about advisors holding on to that money moment, maybe the reason they got into the business. But 
We talk a lot about growth in the industry right now, and you have seen firms of all different shapes and sizes uh, throughout your career, and, and you've seen firms on different types of growth trajectories. And I'm curious for you as a sales and marketing person, you know, what do you think it takes to build a high growth wealth management firm? You know, we talk about this a lot, right? Because advisors, they get into this business and they attract their first dollars in the door. And then they find kind of their rhythm or their cadence, right? And they start to grow their practice. And oftentimes, most times, I'm not going to pick on all of that. Most times, though, they're like, I don't really know what that would work, right? Like, I just, I'm getting some referrals, which is great. and bringing in some net new assets from just kind of like whatever. But I don't really know how that's working. In fact, back in the days of banking, that's how we did our marketing. It's like 50% of our marketing works. Just if you told me what 50% of it is, I would do more of that, right? Like, because you just didn't know, right? And so often these advisors build their book of business and over time, they begin to understand what messaging is provocative. What is attracting their ideal customer profile? How do you grow a practice? So how do you accelerate that growth? How do you kind of turn on that CAGR, right? Compound annual growth. How do you turn that on? To answer that question is a bit of, I think, to my original point about kind of understanding who you are as a practice, what messaging works and how can you amplify that? I've always encouraged advisors before they begin to add on more people to help market and sell the business to get your house in order, right? So that's creating that brand archetype. Who you are as a brand? What is your messaging? What words do you like to use? And how does that resonate with your clients? Because there's going to be a day where the advisor, he or she, has to pass that torch on to that next person in sales and marketing. And do they have the keys to making sure that that continues to echo and reverberate that messaging that you originally set forth with, right? So we talk about this. To start growing your business is to embrace that original messaging, embrace that tone of voice, that brand archetype, but then making sure that they have those keys, that brand guidelines, right? The archetype, right? Understanding who you are as a firm, and focusing on that. Now, once you kind of build that out and you begin to add the human capital, it's what are those mediums, right? What are those kind of avenues to distribute that message? Now, people get so scared about like a YouTube channel or TikTok, God forbid, or Twitter or LinkedIn and saying, oh my goodness, it's I think the fear is not actually the mediums. The fear is the thought that the message has to be unique across those channels. In fact, the message can remain the same. It's just the permutation of the words you use based on that avenue, right? Like you're not going to use your intellectual research on TikTok. You're not going to use your 1,000 word essay on LinkedIn, the articles on Twitter. So the idea is, or excuse me, X, right? So the idea is understand that message and then be able to disseminate it on those different channels or avenues but just making sure you're permutating it to those different audiences. I think I went all around the world there, but it, it, it kind of helped. Good. I think the idea here was to get your house in order on messaging or on brand archetype before you pass off the keys to the next, that, that growth driver of those human individuals. I think that's a great answer because one of the conversations we have a lot of times here at Mile Marker is what you can't get away from in this business is that all wealth management firms have to do 80, maybe even 90% of the same things. They all have to do RMDs. They all have to open accounts. They all have to do client reviews. They all like the business is the business, right? You, you can't do something at your wealth management firm 
you know, you can't do RMDs in a different way than a, than a firm down the street does or whatever. So really what it all comes down to is yourself, that messaging, getting your house in order and how you differentiate both in your, your marketing message, but then in your client service message and how you take care of people. So I think so much of that, it's why I wanted to get your take on it is how do you differentiate? And, and I think you're a great person to ask that too. I mean, for most people who know you, you've built this Mr. Purple brand. And a lot of that was while you were at Advicent and Navaplan, which is a you know purple color and, and things along those lines. But because I think it's actually simpler than most people realize, right? To kind of create a brand and, and help yourself differentiate because you could just be Tony and a lot of people could know you as, as Tony who creates a lot of value in the industry and all of that stuff. But now there's the shorthand of Mr. Purple. And if people say that, even if they don't know you personally, or they don't know your name, they know who people are talking about when they say that. So, I mean, any advice for an advisor who wants to maybe create a, a brand that they get associated with? And, and you know, I think about for podcasting and YouTube, you know, there's a, a firm that's one of the fastest growing firms in Nashville because they have the money guys, right? So people just know them as the money guys. They don't know their name. They don't know who they are as advisors, but they go, I'm going to call the money guys. And, and, and they, they create a bunch of really valuable content and all of that stuff. So yeah, if, I, if I'm a firm, I feel like I've got my house in order. I feel like I've kind of got the messaging like you were just talking about. How do I actually go create a brand out of that now that people can understand who we are and associate with us well? Oh, it's a great question. I, I want to take a step back before I get to the Mr. Purple thing and talk about Navaplan. Imagine how much messaging you're exposed to in any given day. It's just cacophony at this point. Like it is like we are what we are desensitized, right? Like this next generation, in fact, they the, people are saying that uh, Generation Alpha, right? This next generation that's uh, coming up are actually smarter because their brains are processing information at a far faster speed. In fact, they consume things like radically faster than older generations because partly, not just because of like the digital age, but because they have to, they have to quickly assess whether or not this message is relevant to them and whether or not they need to continue to listen or move on, right? Because of this cacophony. So when I started at Navaplan, we were the Buick financial planning tools, we were pretty much, you could buy us and it's pretty safe, but the other firms that were kind of better technology, lower cost, they're banning the drum louder. So we had to become surgical in our rebrand and our repositioning, but also our messaging. We weren't spending as much money as these other firms were. So when we did spend money, it had to be laser focused. So to your question though, about the money guys or Mr. Purple, by the way, I don't know if you've, uh, this is, I literally have like, it's a full brand at this point. You can buy one on my website. No, I'm just kidding. There's no, there's no shop. There's no vibes. I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, so really quick on, on the Mr. Purple thing, but also to your question about the money guys and that kind of concept, don't overthink it, right? I think that's where we need to get to. We need to get to the point where like, don't overanalyze what it's going to be, but embrace authenticity. Do not go into the market artificially. These two money guys or Mr. Purple or whoever it is, like that is who I am, right? I didn't have the name Mr. Purple. In fact, for the longest time, no one in my life knew about Mr. Purple until it kind of leaked out. And then it was like the church, knew, like everyone knew about it. It became this thing, but, but it was like, but I was, that was authentically me. Right, the nickname was given to me by Raji Udesh, in fact, and, and Michael Kitsey is out of all people. But the idea was that's just what you see is what you get. But it was it, it was definitely interlocked with the Nava Plan brand and became a synonymous thing. So when you look at growing your business and your marketing of your business as an RIA, you have to think what makes me different 
in an authentic way. And you might upset some people with that messaging, or you might turn some people off. In fact, people have disparaged me online. They were purple uh, high tops with my suits. Like, they're like, I can't believe that you would do that. Well, you know what? I probably wouldn't want you as a customer anyways, right? So the moment the advisor embraces and accepts that your authentic self will drive in the people you want to provide good advice for anyways, that's when the rubber hits the road, right? But to the point about money guys and Mr. Purple, it's what is the soundbite? What, what is that that can make it kind of roll off the tongue or is memorable, right? And not everyone has that in them. Not everyone is extrovert. Not everyone's like that. But think back to authenticity. And it, the moment you become artificial is the moment the human mind begins to have what's called cognitive dissonance. It begins to realize this person is not being, again, not like lying, right? Or not being truthful, but being artificial, right? Like yeah. I always tell this story and I'll tell this again because I'm sure there's some new listeners. When I was first on Twitter, back when it's called Twitter, I would tweet out the inane financial planning statistics, cash flow stuff, charts, and I was getting like one like, if that, right? Like it was the most fruitless experience. But the moment I made fun of myself on Twitter, it was like 37 likes. And it was 100 likes. And it became more and more. I was like, what, a, what? What? You guys are psychopathic. Like, you would just like it when I make fun of myself and make fun of the kids and whatever it is. But like, that's the authentic self. And that's when people want to start doing business with you. And again, like all the self-deprecation, the photos of the kids or whatever, you know, whatever it is, like me on my dumb journeys up north, like people just like that. And they want to do business with that. So again, it's, it really boils down to authenticity and yeah. how that can kind of drive the people you want to do business with towards your door. This podcast is brought to you by Turncast. We make game-changing content for fintech and financial services companies. Learn more at turncast.com. I guess my last question I'd have on that or a follow-up is one thing I hear from people on this, and I might even struggle with it a little bit too, is you know, the fear of if you are being authentic, you know, like what, what happens, you know, if people push back against that and you touched on it a little bit, right. But maybe it's, a, maybe it's the innate human fear of rejection or something. If, Hey, if I am my authentic self, what if people, what if people don't like that? Or what if people reject me? Cause I, I think that's the fear most people have with being fully authentic. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put an actual piece of myself out here. And what if these people push that away? What does that do for me and for my business and things like that? How would you respond to that? No, it's, it's a fantastic question. And certainly we do not like rejection. In fact, it's crazy. Like all the psychological and sociological studies that are done on people who like, I mean, you've seen the videos, like everyone, like you walk in the elevator, everyone's got their back to the door, right? Like very, like, and then that person that gets in the elevator will turn around and have their back to the door because that's what everyone else does. Like it's this bizarre sociological thing. But again, if you embrace your authenticity, you do not worry about that. I can assure you of two things. One, you will attract clients. You'll attract the ones that you want to service though, right? Who wants a bad, who wants to fire a client? Who wants a bad client? You'll attract the ones that, that like you for who you are and believe in you. And two, I believe, and I don't have the stats on this, but I believe the wallet share will increase because these people truly trust you because you're already authentic self and there's no artificiality to who you are. To the point where they're going to be more open to not only in wallet share, but in educating you on their true life, right? Like how hard is it to crack that now with the investor? Like to get them to answer all those questions, not to open up their wallets for more AUM, 
but just to be like, what is what is really driving you? What is what is what's keeping you up at night? And I think if you're your authentic self during that discovery process, and everything else. Because marketing, by the way, permeates right the whole sales process, the whole onboarding process. Right? If you do that, I believe you'll uncover more. Right? Because again, you're attracting the client that's attracted to you. You are getting people to become authentic themselves because you, in fact, are authentic. Right? And quite frankly, if you scare someone away. So be it. Like there's trolls everywhere. There's trolls everywhere, right? But if the moment they get to you, and that, that's the end, right? That's the end for like just kind of who you are. Like don't let them, don't let them crack you. I learned something from a very smart, and I won't. It's my sister. I'm all people. My younger sister, and she said to me one time, and I remember this. I remember this vividly. And I know this. This might not sound appropriate or applicable at first, but it really is. You cannot love someone else until you truly love yourself. And so when you think about your authentic self, you must love yourself or who you are. You must be proud of your profession. You must be proud of your family, all the choices you made in life. Because the moment you do that, you can love your clients more, right? And in doing so, you provide better advice. And in turn, that becomes, I think, almost like a, like an earthquake, like the, the reverb effect of that will happen and you grow and grow on that. So Long blowing being answers say, do not be afraid of, of, of other people, right? Be your authentic self, love yourself, because I think ultimately what you'll do is attract the people that you want to provide advice to anyways. Great answer. I love it. Let's pivot a little bit into what you're doing now. I would imagine for most of the people listening to this, they, they don't know what Entrustedy is all about. So you are the CRO at Entrustedy. You're really helping grow that over there. Tell us a little bit about Entrustedy and what you're doing over there. So it is a bit of a stealth, a stealth mode, right? And that's what we're kind of working on right now. So that's why a lot of people don't know who we are. Um, we have obviously been out in the market. We are the latest custodian, right? That's fully digital, right? So traditional custodian, we have witnessed the frustrations, the palpable frustrations with the industry as it stands today and the lack of disruption. And, and quite frankly, the lack of trying to provide better service to the advisor and their investor, which is really the ethos of who we are. We're building a modern technological experience that is frictionless whenever possible. We're going to provide delightful customer service at every avenue. If it's technologically through guided or assisted help, also through the chat services, artificial intelligence, but also human, human interactions, and finally, feed transparent, transparent fees. Right? We've looked at the industry and have heard from countless advisors, those are the three frustrations, technology or the lack thereof, frictionless technology, poor customer service, if it exists, and those hidden or fees, kind of that, that the cost structure that's kind of been bloated over time, right? So we are kind of driven to change that. So Entrustee is building that next generation traditional custodian. And quite frankly, think about when you think frictionless, think about everything from, you know, no paperwork, right? Uploading things, funding accounts near instantly, and almost in many cases, you're funding account within five minutes, open up account funding in five minutes or less, right? So you can take action on that. So that's what we're building here. But I want to end with one thing on that. It's not just a custodian. We're trying to build ways, just like mile marker, to make the advisor more efficient, right? Access to data, meaningful integrations, things that we think we see in this industry as a gap that you're solving a mile marker, right? We want to be able to be that kind of that engine in the middle, right? That custody engine in the middle that provides that meaningful bi-direction integrations and workflows, but frictionless when possible, and also modern, right? So we can kind of manifest 
where you custody, how you custody, right? Through other applications or technology. So a long convoluted way to say a modern new uh, custodian that's going to be frictionless, delightful to use uh, with transparent fees. What kind of firm is this perfect for, right? Because there's there's all kinds of different firms out there. You know, we've seen custodians who come in and they serve, you know, a certain type of advisor. You've got other ones that came in and said, hey, we only work with advisors over this asset threshold. This world is very fractured. It's very different. So who's the ideal type of customer for Entrustedy? Oh, that's a fantastic question. And uh, look, the way I look at this space is there's the new entrance on the custody side, the disruptors. We should be working together. There's plenty of advisors to service, right? But we should be the sea change. We should be driving disruption across the custody kind of segment, right? And so there's no fighting, right? Everyone's got their niche. Everyone's got like their ICP, ideal customer profile, excuse me. And quite frankly, what we found is originally when we kind of launched it and we started to kind of work with beta, beta advisor, we anticipated kind of net new advisors, folks that are just starting out their practice or might be their second career, kind of lower AUM. But our beta group, it actually represents on average 225 million AUM, right? So those those firms that are kind of at that that level where they're at an inflection point, right? They've, it's tr- traditionally founder-led, they've added some staff, and they're at that point where, all right, let's grow. Like we, we found our sweet spot, let's grow. They're looking to us because they want a better frictionless experience where they can provide that to their clients and expand who they're providing advice to, right? Because they can create a much more expansive through digital technologies, wide-level robots, things like that. But we've also during the socialization of our platform, attracted multi-billion dollar firms as well, surprisingly. These firms have come to us and said, hey, we want embedded custody experiences. We want to use our traditional portfolio management tool. We want to use our traditional CRM. What we'd like is just at the bottom level, a custody tool that's powered by API. And then what's happened is they said, well, while you're at it, can you provide us this technology for X, Y, or Z? So we're not just kind of this custody engine, we're providing, again, white-label robo-services, self-directed experiences, call center experiences. We're providing a digital arm for these larger multi-billion dollar firms. So I didn't really answer your question because it's a kind of a wide spectrum, but what we found is we anticipated something, but once we started kind of going to market with it, we began to see that this is attracting very different RA for us. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, cool, man. Well, we could talk all day and I have a bunch of other questions for you, but as, uh, as this episode comes to a close and we have you, you know, we'll have to have you back, but we always love to end this with what I like to call the mile marker minute. I've got three questions for you. You have less than a minute to answer each question. Okay. Awesome. Um, so there, it's kind of a rapid fire segment. So if you're ready to go, we can make it happen. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. My first question, this is an easy one. We're coming to the end of 2023. What is the best book that you've read this year? Oh my goodness. That's really hard. Um, <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, oh my goodness. I'm going to just say, what the heck is EOS? That was gifted to me by Alan Moore. Um, and I know Milemark actually uses EOS. As I started off on this startup journey, Alan sent me a copy of it. And uh, I know Judd's talked about it before. So what the heck is EOS? Yeah, good one. And that's a, that's a business side. I mean, I I really a lot of, I believe it or not, like is, is I look fairly ignorant, but I read philosophical books. Like I'm actually reading through Copplestone's series of philosophies from the beginning of time. So that's fantastic. See, I bet you most people yeah, don't really know that. About I mean, very big words, by the way. <laughs> I had three sentences over and over again. 
Um, but uh, but that's on the personal side. Yeah. I love it. Okay, so one unique thing about you is that you have kind of straddled both sales and marketing for a large portion of your career, and that's led you now to being the CRO at Entrustedy. So I've got a question for you. Which one do you like more, sales or marketing? <laughs> oh, man, that's like, I don't know if I can answer that. I think I might, I'm might. i upset some people. I'm a marketing thoroughbred at heart, right? I have degree, multiple degrees in marketing. I've won some awards for it. I love marketing. I believe marketing makes sales a lot easier. But quite frankly, being a CRO, I believe the handshake between sales and marketing is what's the most important. Revenue operations, right? Between the two, that's the most important role. But my passion lies in marketing, but I've been told I'm okay at sales as well. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and the last question, you and I got to know each other out on the conference circuit. We've been to, I don't even know how many conferences we've been to, uh, insane. But what is your favorite conference location? When you see this location pop up for an event, you're like, oh, I'm in. That's the spot that I want to go to. You know, I mean, 10 years ago, and I said Vegas, right? Like, yeah, like <laughs> secret pizza, um, secret pizza, secret can't talk about secret pizza. Um, you know, honestly, my favorite is, is San Diego. I think when I think about the temperature, the, the fantastic airport accessibility, fantastic restaurants, great hotels, I have to see San Diego for that reason. Whenever there's one there, it's like, absolutely, I'll be there because it's just a delightful experience. Great tacos, obviously, great seafood. Uh, but landing at that airport, walking across the, uh, the Skyway, getting in an Uber, you're Hotels eight minutes away. Yeah. So my pick is San Diego, even though probably 10 years ago, it's probably Vegas. I think I agree with you, man. Whenever you see San Diego, you're like, oh, yes. Yeah, I I'm with you. So Tony, yep. it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, man. I think you dropped some some great insights. I loved the money moment conversation. I loved your thoughts on being your authentic self to help build a brand. And then for you sharing with the world what's going on with Entrustedy. So thanks for, uh, thanks for helping drop some insights for our audience today. Well, hopefully your audience appreciates the episode. I would happily come back anytime. We could talk for hours on this topic. It's been a delight. Thank you so much, Kyle. Absolutely. All right, everybody. That's another episode of The Connected Advisor. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this. We'll catch you on the next one.